Hey everybody, welcome to My Town Hustle. Today's episode is going to be about GIS, Geographic Information System. Stay tuned. Welcome to My Town Hustle, where we take an in-depth look at the people, policies, and processes that make small towns work. Focusing on trends in urbanism and creative economies, My Town Hustle explores the ideas that make our community special. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome everybody. My name is Jared Perry and today we're going to be chatting about GIS. Um, this is this is right in Brett's wheelhouse. So um, I think I think we just dive right into it. I got I've got Brett Alfin and Sam Tootin here with me. Um, I kind of screwed that up. I usually do something completely different, but we're going to roll with it. So whatever. Um, live. Live. Uh, so kind of give me the rundown Brett, of what is GIS and why why should people care? So I'm going to draw you into the conversation. So yes. GIS stands for Geographic Information Systems, mm-hmm. and I'm going to pause myself right there. So Jared, as an engineer, mm-hmm. the first time you had to tell your grandmother what you do, how did you describe it? Because this is relevant to what I'm going to say next. I, de- I design buildings. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. So I've been working in GIS for 20 years, either doing GIS, managing GIS systems and departments, managing staff, overseeing it, and I'm still doing it today. So I've been crafting this definition for 20 years. So you guys, give me your take on All this. Right, okay? mm-hmm. right. So when somebody asks me what I do, I say geographic information systems. Once their eyes are done glazing over, I typically say that is a fancy way to say I use a computer to make maps and answer questions. End of the story. I I love that because <laughs> my notes literally right here. That's a lot of notes, buddy. Yeah. This I'm gonna read. <clears throat> this is our notes. GIS technology is a crucial part of spatial data infrastructure, <laughs> which the White House defines as the technology, policies, standards, human <laughs> resources, and related activities necessary to acquire, process, mm-hmm. distribute, use, maintain, and preserve spatial data. Like. There is a reason why I gave you all those notes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I, I my, my note next to this is we've got to give an accessible definition. That's yeah. the accessible definition. So yeah. when I'm yeah. telling anybody what I do, GIS is the, the practice of using a computer to analyze data, make maps, and answer questions, period. Yeah. So what kind of questions? I, I think that's an awesome springboard. Yeah. What kind of, what kind of questions do you, can you answer or do people ping you to answer with, with GIS? I will say to you this, in the work that I've been doing in the services that we provide, GIS is by far, and I mean it's not even close, the most requested service that our agency provides to members and stakeholders. And really, it's most effective. What we're providing it for is as a decision-making support tool mm. for local leaders. The three of us being that we're nerds, we're typically apprised of data and information, and we can understand that data because we've been trained, we've had schooling, we've had professional experience. Most citizens have not. And citizens become our leaders, as it should be. Mm -hmm. And they're not as versed in that. And so they're faced with making decisions and answering questions from constituents and all those other things. And we want to provide them some method of support that helps them 
make the most informed decision they can. So that's, we're doing the, we're in the salt mines, answering the questions and, and grinding that data. So what kind of questions can you answer? All kinds of questions. Think back the earliest form, and I don't have the exact date on this. Maybe you guys might know this. The first example of GIS that I can think of was when there was a cholera outbreak in Europe. And it was like in the listeners, you're going to, you're going to murder us in the comments, support at mytownhustle.com was like in the 16 or 1700s and there was cholera. They didn't understand what the, what was happening, but it was like the plague, right? And people were dying. And so they started mapping where these cases were. Mm. And so they started understanding that these cases of folks were clustered around um, sewage sanitation locations. And so that was how the cholera was spreading, but they figured that out through mapping. Yeah. So the first implication Mm. of GIS is something like that. Yeah. So the questions we get are, um, you know, very, very mundane questions. How much traffic is out there? What's the highest volume tra- road segment of traffic in our community? Um, where's the highest density of a certain type of population? Where are all the certain types of properties of a specific classification in our community? Any kind of question around that or the, the kinds of questions we get all the time, every day, all day. Is there a topography in there as well? Sure. So we're really talking about is kind of at the, at the lowest level, we're talking about how does the built environment interact with the surface of the earth? So a lot of these questions are layered in with what's our elevation? What are the natural features? What is, what's going on with soil? What's going on with all kinds of other things. So yeah, we bring all those things into the equation with, along with all the other things like tax data and population and those kinds of things. So income. Exactly. So we're looking for the intersection of those things and trying to provide information to folks around that, that they can understand. Gotcha. So, I guess if, if I'm going to assume reaching back to a previous episode, comprehensive planning. Yes. Very important. Yes. GIS. Oh yeah. Yeah. And think about it. So it's almost like there's a hierarchy. So information to me first is just like words on paper, right? That's kind of like Mm -hmm. level one information. Then we kind of go up to tabular data, right? Spreadsheets, tables. We figured out we can put numbers and data together. We can do tables. To me, the highest visualization of that is then putting those things together on a map so folks can, literally a picture is worth a thousand words. I'd say it's way more than a thousand words. Yeah. I can think of many things that I could show a map to you mm-hmm. and describe to you in 30 seconds that I could not write narratively right. <laughs> without yeah. great pain. We, we need great. to get something in the show notes to show people who haven't seen this. Kind of like a, I've seen heat mapping of, sure. of income and tax data, I mean, which is just phenomenal to kind of you know, see, you know, on a broader spectrum to say, okay, these are these, this is clustered around, say, the hospital. Sure. Right. And if you were to put in some sort of, I don't know, housing, uh, you know, uh, some HUD housing or something like that, um, a new complex or whatever, you want to pay attention to those kind of things. Yeah. Because what do people need access to immediately if they don't have a car? you know, yep. et cetera. How, how can you provide those things? GIS is going to be able to kind of determine the absolute best location that's going to service the majority, you know, overwhelming majority of the population that would need those services. Yes. And it's, it's important for the listeners to know, I think when I say GIS and I'm talking about maps, I think people are in their minds, they're picturing, picturing, you know, like USGS maps or like a roadmap you would look at. A, cre- a key thing to understand is the result of a GIS process. So like if somebody asks us a question and we're utilizing GIS to answer this question, the answer isn't always a map. So 
we've got a GIS staff and they, maybe they get a question from a county commissioner. They could grind through data and execute processes and do analysis all day to tell that representative that the answer is five, right? And it has nothing to do with amount. You know, how many areas do we have that meet this, you know, specific specification? Right. You go through a bunch of stuff and the answer is four. So it's not always a yeah. map that you see on the wall. A lot of it is just giving you the answer to whatever that question is, which can be a lot of anything. How many trailers are in our community? All kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I'm assuming utility. So if you're looking from an economic development standpoint, what, what parcels do we have that are of X acreage, you know, that are out of the floodplain that have water, gas, sewer hookup, yep. et cetera? Exactly. Uh, Okay. And, exactly. And GIS allows you to interchange those layers of uh, your question by literally actual layers to where you you can ask one question, you can add an element to it, and now going to change it and maybe change the the answer to that. So it's diverse in that in that way. Here's another visualization I'll give for listeners. And if you're old like me, you might get this reference. So do you remember? And you guys are younger than me, so you might not get this. Do you remember being in school and your teacher would use the overhead projector? Mm, yeah. Yeah. And your teacher would have these. We went to. I went to Fort Fry. I'm. I'm versed. <laughs> still using them out there. <laughs> <laughs> They're not still using them out there. Just kidding. Um, so your teacher would write on this like clear plastic, right? And they would put it on the projector, and it would project on the wall. Yeah. And so whatever they would have written on the was project up there. And then yeah. you would take another piece of that plastic, and you write something else on it, and put it on top of that other one, yeah. and put it on there, and it would project along with what you previously had on there on the wall. The computer is basically doing that with the maps. The, the map is, is segmented into various layers that are individually able to be turned on, turned off. You can query against them. You can do all kinds of stuff. But I like to use that overhead projector example. Because, no, that's great. Because yeah, you can, it's is. kind of, you're just, you're writing on another sheet of that plastic. You're putting it on top so you can see everything. Putting it on top, putting it on top. So that's kind of how that's the great. analysis piece works inside yeah. software. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the... Um, some of the decisions, I guess, examples that you would have sure. for a local community, uh, maybe not specifically ours here in Marietta, but just some that you have worked on. Uh, I want to call them success stories. Sure. Know. So there's a lot, and a lot of them are, are related to, I would say, public safety is a big one. So, yeah. for example, we have um, – everybody's familiar with what 911 is, right? So the idea is with 911, every residence has a unique address. So when you call 911 and you're having an emergency, uh, first responders will know exactly where you are because you have a unique address. And so being able to use those addresses for emergency response is a huge thing. So establishing that data in of itself for communities that are rural like ours is a success. Yeah. Um, some of, and it's expensive to do that. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of coordination. But having that now established in all the most of the counties across southeastern Ohio is a big, is a big success. State helped fund some of that, um, and locally that's been funded as well. But it's critically important. And then there's a lot of other secondary uses for it. So if we're looking for, um, you know, when we're doing uh, surveying, if you want to access specific grant funds, and we're trying to understand how many addresses are in the service area of this water district mm -hmm. or of this sewer area. We can use those addresses for that secondary purpose of trying to determine household densities or mm. um, where specific types of structures are. We can do all those kinds of things. So having that kind of stuff is important and um, being structural and intentional about having that yeah. is real valuable. And it, and it just brings clarity to a lot of those local processes. So public safety is a big one. Um, 
property, you know, manage tax management, yeah. you know, so tax parcels is probably a, is a, is a layer that most people are aware of. So, you know, we all live in homes that are pieces of property and it has a lot of data associated with it. What year did you buy it? Yeah. What year was your house built? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the sale price? What, mm-hmm. what tax abatements did you receive? All that stuff is tied to your particular property inside the GIS. So it makes it much easier for the administrative folks that are doing daily tasks on that to access that information. So it's really about organizing and making ease of access to information available to folks that need it. Yeah, yeah. I got a random question. Oh, good. If, good, good. So yes. uh, property taxes. Yes. Typically looked at, well, like every couple of years. Six years. Every six years here. Okay. So are you able to use GIS to say, you know, the previous six years leading up to, you know, the average home value was X. Mm -hmm. And now when you're in that sixth year, you evaluate the, the previous six years before that, the median sale price I, I shouldn't i shouldn't have said home value sale price and then you compare the sale prices to kind of see where your cost of living has maybe went up or inflation etc and i mean is this as simple as basing here's the value of home that you have this percentage increase it went up four percent so real estate taxes go up four percent how do they make those is, is gis involved at all it is involved in that i don't know that it's involved in the setting the rates per se yeah okay but it's certainly involved in the analysis and so think about this when you're looking at a map and i I was alluding to this earlier and you see a dot on that map that represents maybe your house or a town or you see a line that represents a road there's much more data connected to that feature on the map than you see on the map so if it's a road segment for example you would have most generally on a paper map just what the name yeah main street you're going to have other things in the gis that say how many lanes is it what's the speed limit what's the surface material what's the surface condition you're going to have all these other um, attributes that are related to that value so to your point jared the properties are no different you've got in the related to those properties you've got think about a spreadsheet you've got columns right that are sale value yeah assessed value sale date it makes it very easy just like in microsoft excel to run analyses and formulas against those. We're going to multiply this field by this field, yeah. and we're going to output a new value, and it's going to be whatever the thing mm. you're looking for is. So, yeah, it's... Especially it's a, spatially, too. Yes. I'm putting yeah. that in there. Sorry so, yeah, so no, no, you're using... So you're using all those tools to help generate that information, and it's all linked in the information that's tied to the map. Mm-hmm. The map is just the visualization part. Yeah. So who has, I guess, who has access... To, to the GIS and how does that information get put in there? It's uh, first, I think I'd like to say that GIS or even just data itself is a great way to tell a story Indeed. and it's all about how you want to tell that story. Um, so because GIS is so diverse in that way, you could have just something, one or two data aspects of it. And that's, that's the story you're going to tell, but then yes. you want to maybe make the story a little bit more complicated and add elements to it. Like to your example, you know, that's telling a story of how property tax, to me, really just increased over six years or decreased over six years. Yep. It's not really going to lead to maybe some decision making, but that story and that example is just strictly telling that particular story. But we can change that story time and time again and, or by inserting anything. So I think just going from there, 
it's how you use it. Yes. And then to your point of mm-hmm. who uses it, well, you know, it's a software, it costs money and people have to manage that and update that and learn as well as be educated on it. Because but as the average everyday citizen, can, can they reach out to those who do have access to this software? Are they entitled to, and I, I want to use the word entitled, okay, I can make a, a request. Let's wind back kind of one idea. So GIS I've been, like I said, I've been doing this for 20 years. When I first started, my opinion is GIS had just started kind of coming onto the scene in local government of all types. Prior to, I would say maybe the year 2000, GIS really existed in engineering firms and academia. That's kind of where it was. Local governments were just starting to understand how it could be used to help them manage all the things they have to do, all the data they have to track for all the transactions and things they have to do. So that was, it's becoming clear that as a data management approach, there's something there. And that's around 2000. I would argue that now I've, I've seen it progress to where a lot of municipalities, counties, cities, many of them, I won't say all, but many of them have something, have some kind of GIS. Yeah. And again, a lot of it centers around public safety, mm-hmm. um, tax and property, those types of things that it revolves around that. But it can be a lot of other things too. Um, utility management. I was just going to say you know, sewer pipes, water yes. pipes. We've got a mixture of cast iron yes. clay. And yeah. So for the plastic. everyday citizen, yeah. I would say, you know, your, your, your city or your county likely has something. And, and you can certainly ask questions of them. Mm. And um, they should be able to produce, you know, answers to your questions. Um from that data as well so and if not sam's exactly right i mean there's software out there there's free software there's Mm -hmm. we'll talk about this but there's zillions of types of data that are out there that are provided by public sources that are freely available to download and you can use at your leisure so um, where where can they that's good springboard where 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 can you find that so for me the biggest source of data that we have the united states census and they make data called tiger data and it's all kinds of geography data data related to populations basically everything that's reported in the census gets output also yeah. in, into gis data so that's so that's a huge one um another huge one is uh, state departments of transportation so if you want to see the, all the roadway networks rail data maritime data traffic data crash, level of service right crash yeah. data all those things so departments of transportation wonderful sources of data um, for your community your county your state um, but they're, you know, uh, USDA, uh, National Farm mm. Service. I mean, there, there's yeah. just t- departments of natural resources in various states. I mean, a lot of public agencies that are managing properties or stuff like that, they will have typically GIS data. And knowing some of those folks, they are more than happy to talk to you about it, yeah. share it with you. So there, there's a lot of data out there. And I'll, and I'll be honest with you, in Ohio, and I'm going to be completely biased here, as a community of GIS folks, we have, I'd say, one of the strongest GIS programs statewide. Um, partnership and cohesion between agencies and entities maybe in the country. One of the best, I would really say. I talk to folks in a lot of other states, and a lot of them are jealous of what we had, the data we have, the support we get from the state of Ohio, and stuff like that. So listeners would never even know that in a million years, but I can tell you that this is one area that Ohio is really on the front of the curve in, in the nation. That's good. But to, to dial that back to a local level, right, in terms of access or just normal day-to-day functionality of applying and using GIS is, is a different story. Great resources out there to, to receive data. But now the question is, is your local government even using that? 
sure. data that's out there to again make the make the decisions. Okay, so you know, with those kind of feelings and maybe maybe understanding, are there is there is there anything um, that you would want to add that maybe people, if they are familiar with GIS, because I think we've laid out what it is pretty well. Um, are there any controversial um, aspects to it? I mean, the way the data is maybe aggregated or the way it's um, presented, because I know personally looking at, at census data, I get a little frustrated mm-hmm. um, with just the way maybe it's reported. Sure. It seems to never be in the format that I want it to be. Everything is you know grouped. Um, you, you know, especially like age ranges and, sure. and things like that when you're truly trying to find out demographics and stuff. Um, you know, what are, what would be your considerations? I don't want to say controversial. What would be your considerations for improvement of existing infrastructure? So the larger the data set you're talking about, the larger the universe of information you're trying to manage, the more general and aggregated it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just what you have to do to make it manageable and, and make it mean something. So I, I totally understand what you're saying, Jared. And I think that is true. And I also, here's a fun fact about the census. First fun fact of the day, mm. um, both in GIS data and data, if uh, you are the respondent to a question in a local area and you're the only identified value of that. So let's say Sam responds to the census and he indicates his ethnic, his ethnicity and I, and I don't say which one it is, but say he's the only one of that ethnicity in the area where you're reporting. Mm-hmm. They'll suppress that data because the idea is it's important to not have any single individual be identifiable through the census. So I say that that's oh. that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons that you have to ag- they, you aggregate data because if Sam's the only person of that ethnicity in this lo- locality, they'll know, well, that's Sam. Yeah. yeah, I know Sam. This he's, is his he's income. From, he's yeah. from Mars, and he's the yeah. only person from Mars yeah. in this oh. neighborhood. So right. obviously right. that's right. Sam. So, um, but to your point, Jared, the larger the data, the more aggregated it's going to be. I think I, I would I would give you the example of maybe the the most frustratingly aggregated would be uh, broadband data from the FCC. So, uh, telecom providers are required to report their service on something called a Form Four Seventy Seven, and they're using census geography. If one household in a, in a census tract is an indicated to have a certain level of service, that entire tract is marked as having service. Mm-hmm. And we know that's not true, but that's a case of where aggregation gone wrong. Now yeah. that's more about the policies of how that data is created, but what I'm saying is that comes across exceptionally clear in the GIS. Yeah, It's easy to do that in the paperwork and you can put it into the data and it's not so obvious, but when you put that in the GIS and you start looking at it and it says places like, Amesville, Ohio is served by multiple broadband providers. Yeah. Mm. Um, call somebody in Amesville, Ohio. And I'm saying call them because that's the only way you can communicate with them. <laughs> yeah. And they'll tell nice. you that is not the case. So to your point, Jared, the larger the data, if it's a national data set, mm. you're going to have to aggregate it to make it usable uh, for folks. And unfortunately, what happens is you lose the detail. Yeah. So the more local your data is, the more highly detailed it's going to be. So if you're generating that data, like, mm. you know, if, if your water board is collecting data about their utility presence, highly, highly accurate because very small area. Yeah. Um, if your town is collecting data on, you know, the city of Marietta has a tree commission. There's a database of all the trees mm-hmm. in the city. Oh it's, yeah. It's Dealt in GIS. It. Yep. Right. Yep. Highly detailed, right? Mm-hmm. Very highly detailed because it's a local. I had no set. idea. I had two, yeah. three approved planting spots. How about that? In my, in my tree lawn. Yeah. How about and that? there had been multiple trees there over time. Yeah. What the, you know, 
what kind of variety they were and what variety I could technically pick from, you know, yep. when they took one out. Yep. Very unique. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, again, even to the, the generalization of it, I'm, again, I'm, I'm looking at COVID because I'm always looking here. Just this whole map, when you zoom out and you see the whole United States, it doesn't, it just tells me it's bad. It doesn't tell me anything, right? It just tells me that Florida is basically is, uh, covered up in, uh, in the color skew here. Uh, but you zoom in, it maybe tells a little bit of a story. I mean, it's, it's just, you can, you can have it tell a, you can have it tell the wrong story oh, sure. or leave it open for interpretation that you're going to take away from it. Maybe, you know, is going to be different than Brett's take away from it. So, you know, that is where you do have to be careful with, with, what you're presenting especially when it gets very broad and very general yeah yeah so sam to to build on that there and i think jared you would appreciate this too there there is subjectivity to here also it's important to say that uh there's a great book out there the title itself says everything it's called how to lie with maps by mark mm. i don't know how to say this last name exactly but mark monnier shout mm. out to you mark mm. super interesting book and it is basically talking about the ways that you can manipulate any legitimate data to tell the story you want to tell or to give the message that you want to give if you're talented in utilizing those tools. Yeah. So even though the data is what we would call authoritarian, right? It comes from a credible known source that has, um, it's, it has all the details known. It's, it's widely published. Like census. Like census. You can use that to tell a story or to promote a message that maybe isn't exactly true. So it's, 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 in, it's important like everything else to understand, have scrutiny and, do your own evaluation of what you're seeing. Yeah. That is COVID-19 people, you don't realize it, but you're experiencing it mm -hmm. right now. You're experiencing what you are talking about right now. There are people that will tell you the sky is falling and there are people that tell you like, look, statistically, this is not that big a deal. Yes. Mm. So, and again, if you're just blindly following one or the other yep. without doing your own due diligence, you will you will fall in a rabbit hole uh you know and get just completely plastered on on one side of the argument and i yep. we have we are definitely seeing that For right sure. now in where we are living at you know today on august 26th 2020 i think that even speaks to a variety of things how we get the news how we digest the news i mean to, even to the point of this podcast of reclaiming reclaim how you perceive information how you get information not necessarily just question it but you we can't rely on certain things anymore because i think technology is so so yeah. diverse and so large and so expansive that you have to really really sit down and understand what it is that's right in front of you sure and and question that a little bit and if you can do that then you can come away i think with better informative decisions than just reading something that someone posted on a social media or just told you right out of their mouth. You know, mm -hmm. we just can't take that sometimes. So to this, this, this point in this book, you know, it's, it's easy to manipulate. Yeah. And it, and it becomes easier because, you know, maps look official, you know, it looks like yeah. something. But I mean, it's it looks like somebody put some effort right. into this. Yeah. yeah. It's like anything else. Just gotta be careful. Yeah. Yeah. Maps, um, maps are nice. They are nice. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to maybe point to, if you do take some local surveys, et cetera, you know, that I would encourage people to look at is statistical relevance. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get a total population from the census data, and then you can figure out 
what statistical relevance you want to have inside whatever confidence interval. So I want to say, you know, within a, you know, do you want to dive into statistical relevance? You do it. I'm happy to do that. Yeah, go for it. So that people understand how they can take local surveys and then apply that, how that would apply on a grander scale so that they can feel comfortable that they are including the majority of people in these you know, decisions that they're making. So I'll put this into an example that I hope uh, folks can connect with. We're doing the census right now. The census happens every 10 years. It used to be that when you took the census, there was a short form and there was a long form, right? So the short form had less questions logically. The yeah. long form had a lot more detailed information. Yeah. The trouble with that was in between those 10 years, there was really nothing. You know, there was no, there was no intercensual data at all. You just had those snapshots of those 10 year periods. A couple of years ago, the United States census instituted what's called the American community survey. And I know this is like rambling. Stay with me. I'm going to go, I'm going around the barn. I'm going to bring it home. Okay. okay. We instituted the American community survey. So the idea was you would do limited surveying of populations in this years in between the census mm-hmm. with the idea that you would be generating some data in those years between the 10 years. So what they do is they, to Jared's point, they're, they're surveying a very small subset of each community with the American Community Survey. There is a, no, you know, based on the population, they know in order to reach statistical relevancy, they can calculate how many surveys must we get to make it statistically relevant. They do that. What they then do is they take those results and extrapolate them up to represent the whole community. Mm-hmm. Now, the smaller your community is, the smaller the universe of those surveys you have to collect are. For example, and I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm just yeah. going to make an example. If you live in a community that's 600 people, the universe of surveys you might have to complete to be statistically relevant might be 40 or mm-hmm. 30. And so you're going to take that responses of those 30 and extrapolate up to the whole community. Now what happens is that gives you huge margins of error, yeah. huge. And so when you get that resulting data, you see the value that has been extrapolated, but it's more important to look at the margin of error because if a value that comes out of it is 20, right? The average value of whatever statistic we're talking about is 20 mm-hmm. and the margin of error is plus or minus 18. That means the real value is 38 or two. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and so that, that is happening in our communities. And so the census is important. ACS is important, but I'm saying is when you look at that data, they're surveying very small populations of very small communities. And so you have to take that data with the largest grain of salt possible. Yeah. But it's important because we at least have something. Yeah. Or you tighten up your margin of error. And then sure. I would call it a confidence it interval is. statistically, yep. you know, plus or minus 5%, plus or minus 10%, yes. plus or minus 15%. Yes. And all that's going to do is tell you basically the tighter you make it, the more surveys you got to get. Yeah. But on the flip side, for I would say it's actually for a community of 600, you might as well go get 500 surveys, quite sure. frankly. Yeah. But in a community of, say, 250,000 or a million, be a lot easier to get like 5,000 surveys for sure. or, yeah. or 10,000 surveys, right? Yeah. For sure. So, and you can extrapolate those up, you know, especially if you, you, you divvy them up into individual neighborhoods, yep. et cetera. So uh, it's, it's definitely useful um and again coming from an engineering background i mean we've we've used those principles a lot well this data is so i mean the data we're talking about and the ability to analyze it 
is more important than ever. Yeah. Right. We want to make sure we're making good decisions. We want to make sure that we're making well-informed decisions. And I, so I think using every tool that's at our disposal to ensure that and to help us um, learn about the questions that we're asking and learn about the realities that are present in our communities and in our populations is, you know, more critical than ever. So while it is kind of nerd cool, like I'm super jazzed to be talking about this, the yeah. nerd in me is just like really excited. <laughs> it does have real life implications yeah. and, and it's important that we utilize all these tools uh, to, to help us do the things we're trying to do. Yeah. That, and again, to, to question it, I mean, the margin of error may be left out or may be overlooked in sure. terms of, you know, you or the common citizen just reading over it and saying, Oh man, it is 20. That's good. And they don't implement We don't spend time on that difference of plus or minus 18 yes. to say, well, realistically, it may be more like two, you know, yes. we're not, we're not, we're not 20. We're not yeah. in a good position, right. sure. you know, but maybe it's manipulated that way to push an agenda or push something that says, Oh, eh, we're, sure. we're all right. We're good. Mm -hmm. We, we, we sure. can, we can do this because that's what maybe they want. Sure. If, no if one. you're, if you're doing a, a survey and you just want to, if your goal is I want 51% of the people to be happy mm -hmm. with this decision and you run the survey that Brett's talking about and the, the odds are that 2% of people are going to be upset or 38%. Well then technically you got your answer. Yeah. But, yeah. um, all right. I think we can wind this, the sucker down. Is there anything else you kind of wanted to, to speak on? There's a lot of great organizations out there that are supporting GIS. And I know there are a lot of folks in our communities that are working on it. So shout out to all those folks. Um, shout out to Ohio, Eurissa, shout out to Ogrip, shout out to all those folks in Ohio. Um, reach out to me at support at my If you want to know more about that, I'd be happy to connect you with resources or talk about you generally. This is literally what I've done for 20 years. Yeah. And if, <laughs> yeah, if, you you're not in Ohio and you want to get some, you know just have some bounce some questions or ideas off of I, I have a question I guess is there are opportunities there that are for funding to help municipalities be able to have the equipment for GIS or you know because that in my experience mm -hmm. that's where I had trouble as a planner we had GIS but I didn't have access to to the actual seat at the table. So seats being, you know, I'm basically a user fee or user access for Sam himself, not, uh, not anything else. The way that I see that happen most usually Sam for municipalities or counties is quite often if they're doing a project that's related, they will write that expense into the grant or to the project that they're okay. completing. So for example, um, if you're doing a project to create 911 data or something like that, and you're going to get part of it funded by your, state office of public safety or something, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes if that's grant funded, you can include those types of costs in there. And I think a lot of municipalities do that. Quite honestly, the, the, the barrier of entry of the cost isn't too bad. The real struggle is the value you put into somebody to train them to, to sure. do it with acumen and skill. Um, you know, we have a community college in town that had a GIS program for a short while. And I was an adjunct professor there and it was a great asset. Um, and we need more of that. So, yeah. but yeah, there are ways to do it. And I would say most commonly it's worked into other projects, but yeah. Okay. Is there anybody specifically that if people, you know, want to know if they have it, who they reach out into their community? Well, I mean, there are any, any planning agency and uh, planning commission, any development department, yep. you know, should have someone, I mean, I took GIS courses in school, you know, I got, but 
again, it's a, it's just like any other software, anything you have to use it, use it, use it um, to, I, to stay I, on top of it. I would almost guarantee that anybody listening, your county auditor has a website that has GIS functions in there that let mm-hmm. you search properties, search values, search transactions, all that. And not all of them, but I would say it's a safe bet to say a very high percentage. Certainly in Ohio, almost all, if not all, have that. So I think it would be true for other states too. Yeah. Great example. If you just want to go there and see what the heck is this stuff these guys are talking about, these guys are nuts, mm-hmm. there you go. Go to your county auditor website and you can get your first little taste of it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. Um, if you'd like more info, be sure to check out the show notes. We'll probably drop some links in there. Oh, yeah. um, if you've got questions, feedback, topics, hit us up. Support at mytownhustle.com. Um, you know, if if you have not yet rated our podcast, we, we would love for you to do that. You know, we appreciate five-star reviews. They really help us get noticed. I know I say that literally every episode. Mm-hmm. But it is extremely important. It would mean the world to us. So shout out to everybody. Thank you for the almost 1,000 likes on Facebook. Yeah, 1,000 likes on Facebook. I think we've got you know 15 or so uh, ratings on uh, on Apple. On the Apple. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's and people have been really engaging. We've gotten some good comments uh, on our Facebook page, and you know just keep it up. Keep you know we understand. At least I understand more than ever how this has been transparent across the nation especially watching his followers and having people reach out and, sure. and say this, that, you know, it's, they live in communities that are also are struggling or, yep. you know, they're passionate about, or they are starting to question how things are done. So just keep it up. Let us know. Yeah. Give and I think examples. one thing that I've seen, you know, I try to, you know, if somebody new follows, I'll check out some people randomly, you know, Jared's watching. We are not just, this message isn't just getting to small rural town America. Yeah. We're, we're reaching people that are, you know, uh, either major metropolitan or major metropolitan adjacent. And I love that. I love that, that everybody's picking up the torch. I've, I love it. So, yeah. um, again, if anybody's got any questions, hit us up, you know, topics, maybe there's something that we're not hitting because, you know, our mindset is small rural town America. Yes. If there's something out there that, you know, man, I wish you guys could talk about this. Mm -hmm. We would, we'd really love to do that. So, all right. Until next time. Thanks. Thank you for listening to My Town Hustle. We would greatly appreciate it if you would share our podcast with someone who you think would benefit greatly from it. But most importantly, subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever platform you consume your podcasts. It would mean the world to us. Until next time, folks. Thanks for listening.